I'm Ray Suarez, and you're listening to After Kim Jong-il on America Abroad. The United States is a Pacific power, and we are here to stay. That was President Obama this past November in an address to the Australian Parliament. When it comes to the Korean Peninsula, the United States has been there to stay for more than six decades. It's a relationship that was forged in war more than six decades ago. It began on the eve of World War II, when Korea was still ruled by Japan. Britain, America, and China expressed their resolve to exert unrelenting pressure on Japan, compelling her to disgorge the territory she has seized and occupied even before the First World War in 1914. To help defeat Japan, the United States asked its wartime ally, the Soviet Union, for help. And in 1945, Russian troops toppled Japanese control over Korea. After 40 years of Japanese domination, Korea makes a start on the road back to national independence. Independence for Korea is promised, with Russia keeping a watchful eye on its future. Then, to prevent Soviet domination of the entire peninsula, the U.S. military moved rapidly to occupy Korea south of the 38th parallel. Korea was now divided. The Soviet-backed North Korean government built up its military strength, but by 1949, the United States was providing only modest assistance to South Korea's military. Then came war. I want to talk to you plainly tonight about what we're doing in Korea and about our policy in the Far East. In June 1950, North Korea launched a massive Soviet-backed invasion across the 38th parallel. American troops were rushed to Korea, which was now seen as a crucial test in the emerging global struggle against communism. President Harry Truman. In the simplest terms, what we're doing in Korea is this. We're trying to prevent a third world war. The Korean War caused enormous devastation. 54,000 Americans and a quarter of a million Koreans died. This is Seoul, capital of Korea. Once a city of beauty and of culture, a place revered by all who lived within her walls. Today it is a shell, her loveliness destroyed by the shifting tides of war that have surged again and again through her heart. In July 1953, the war ended with an armistice that kept the country divided, and the United States and South Korea signed a defense treaty signaling America's commitment to the security of the South. But in the 1960s, that commitment would waver in the shadow of America's Vietnam quagmire. In 1971, President Nixon announced the U.S. was withdrawing one-third of its troops from Korea, leaving 40,000 there. And as South Korea's fear of abandonment increased, a new American president, Jimmy Carter, shocked Seoul with a new announcement. The essence of the question is, is our country committed on a permanent basis to keep troops in South Korea, even if they are not needed, to maintain the stability of that peninsula? I think it's accurate to say that the time has come for a very careful, very orderly withdrawal over a period of four or five years of ground troops. President Carter eventually backed off his plan, but it reinforced old fears in Seoul that America was no longer fully committed to defending South Korea. In the 1980s, a new American president reassured the South that America's commitment to South Korea remains strong. President Reagan addressed the country's National Assembly in 1983. Let the world look long and hard at both sides of the 38th parallel and then ask which side enjoys a better life. 
Let me make one thing very plain. You are not alone, people of Korea. America is your friend, and we are with you. Just a short while ago, astonishing news from East Germany, where the East German authorities have said, in essence, that the Berlin Wall doesn't mean anything anymore. Anyone who wants to leave East Germany and go anywhere in the world is free to do so. When the Cold War ended, many predicted North Korea's collapse. But the North, now more isolated than ever, somehow hung on. Despite the fall of the Soviet Union, George H.W. Bush decided that American troops would remain in South Korea to defend it against the North. America is a Pacific nation. We will remain engaged in Asia as we are in the other regions of the world. And let there be no doubt, the people of this republic should know that the United States' commitment to Korea's security remains steady and strong. In the early 1990s, a satellite photo showed North Korea was building a plant to reprocess plutonium and build nuclear weapons. And as we'll hear more about later in the program, the Clinton administration negotiated an agreement it hoped would freeze the development of North Korea's nuclear weapons program. It's not exactly a done deal, but the agreement does break a dangerous deadlock. The key ingredient, the U.S. puts together a $4 billion aid package to keep North Korea from developing nuclear weapons. It was the beginning of two decades of crises over North Korea's nuclear ambitions. As nuclear agreements were negotiated, new free elections swept to power a generation of South Korean leaders who were critical of America's involvement on the Korean peninsula. In 1996, South Korean President Kim Dae-jung launched a new effort to engage North Korea in a cooperative relationship called the Sunshine Policy. In Washington, both Kim Dae-jung's Sunshine Policy and the Clinton administration's nuclear agreement with North Korea faced increasing criticism. North Korea is a regime arming with missiles and weapons of mass destruction while starving its citizens. In 2001, the new administration of George W. Bush argued for a tougher policy against North Korea. States like these and their terrorist allies constitute an axis of evil, arming to threaten the peace of the world. The shaky relations between North Korea and the United States deteriorated quickly when Kim Jong-il's regime made a startling admission that it had violated the 1994 agreement with the United States and begun a secret nuclear weapons program in the 1990s. The decisions were announced in a statement read on North Korean state television. UN nuclear inspectors will be expelled from the country immediately. A North Korean nuclear lab, mothballed back in 1994 under a deal to end North Korea's nuclear weapons research, will now be reactivated. Most analysts believe North Korea is pushing this dispute to the brink of crisis to win concessions at the negotiating table. In the face of the crisis, the Bush administration sought to win the support of North Korea's concerned neighbors. And in 2003, the United States, China, Russia, Japan, and North and South Korea agreed to meet to find a resolution. It was the first of many rounds of what would become known as the Six-Party Talks. But the dialogue didn't go well. In 2006, North Korea conducted its first test of a nuclear weapon. It was announced on North Korean state TV. 
the international community reacted with widespread condemnation and sanctions. A year later, South Korea's sunshine policy came to an official end with the election of President Lee Myung-bak. During his campaign, Lee promised to take a harder line with the North. Then in 2009, North Korea launched another nuclear test. This time, it was a big one. South Koreans are burning signs and demanding UN sanctions after North Korea claims to have conducted an underground nuclear test Monday, a test much larger than the one in 2006. Pyongyang announced the test, and Russia's defense ministry confirmed an underground explosion in northeastern North Korea, estimating the blast was comparable to the bombs that flattened Hiroshima and Nagasaki in World War II. The provocations continued with the sinking of a South Korean warship in 2010 that killed 46 South Korean sailors. And later that year... On a small island near their disputed border, North and South Korea have traded artillery fire in one of the bloodiest clashes since the Korean War. In a brazen attack, North Korea fired on a South Korean island, killing two soldiers and injuring civilians, and relations between the two Koreas hit a new low. And now, with Kim Jong-il's death, the future of the American relationship with the two Koreas is as uncertain as ever. What's clear is that the Obama administration is focusing new attention on Asia, and that means continued commitment to America's relationship with South Korea. President Obama addressed the Australian parliament last November. As president, I have therefore made a deliberate and strategic decision. As a Pacific nation, the United States will play a larger and long-term role in shaping this region and its future by upholding core principles and in close partnership with our allies and friends. Coming up, we'll hear from North Koreans living in exile in South Korea. Visit us on the web at americaabroad.org to sign up for our monthly podcast and access a complete archive of our programs. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Ray Suarez. You've been listening to After Kim Jong-il, America and the Two Koreas on America Abroad.